This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Braintree. Even the best mobile app won't work without the right payments API. That's where the Braintree V.0 SDK comes in. One amazingly simple integration gives you every way to pay. But don't take our word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash Walt. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, a water-resistant but combustible podcast from The Verge. That intro is brought to us by Ash Cornette on Twitter. It's at ComplexAsh, A-S-H. Love the intros. Keep them coming. Anyhow, I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge, joined as always by my friend, Verge Executive Editor, Editor-at-Large at Recode, Mr. Walt Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? Uh, it's going fine, Mr. Neil Patel. I was kind of, I was hoping that you'd be like, I'm actually a doctor. I have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Mossberg to you. From now on, Dr. Mossberg. Uh, I'll also accept rabbi, either one. <laughs> the, the Honorable Rabbi Mossberg is here. Anyhow, that intro is funny, but it's also not funny because the phones not keep funny. exploding. Right. So the Note 7 still exploding. There is now a formal recall happening. This is like half public service and half news. If you have a Note 7, yeah. like, you, you got to take it back. Samsung has issued a software update, so if you turn on a Note 7 that's affected by the recall, it will tell you to turn it off and go get it recalled. Note 7s that are safe are marked on the box, and the battery icon is green now, which is great, but obviously Android is so customizable. Green as opposed to what? I think it was white before. So it it lights up green as opposed to blue or red or whatever, or white. So you have one of these phones to take it back. However, right as we were coming to air, Walt forwarded me an email from a listener uh, I won't reveal the name, but this is like a tale of woe. So this process for Samsung, and we've talked about this a lot, Walt, has not gone great. Um, no. They, they have moved fast. I think we both agree that not fast enough. Not fast enough. So we have a listener. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it. Um, wrote to Walt. I've been trying to return the device to Samsung for three weeks without success. The last communication I had with Samsung is that they will contact me eventually with no date given. So can I arrange a return? Someone who purchases Samsung product from Samsung.com cannot return the device without prior approval from Samsung. I would love to return my Note 7, but I cannot. Uh, And then several days later, same uh, listener writes to Walt, I have repeatedly now four times tried to return the phone to Samsung, and they will not authorize my return. My assessment is that I have just purchased the phone through Carrier. I could have returned it sooner. But I just got off the phone with Samsung support, and they told me the same thing they told me last week, and that is someone from Samsung will contact me with no time given when I can expect Samsung to contact me. I'm not a Samsung hater, but I'm becoming one. I had a Note 2, 3, 4, and I have a Note 5 now. I also have an iPhone 6S Plus. I have two smartwatches from Samsung and Apple Watch. But once I get my money back from the purchase of this phone, I'm done with Samsung. That's the whole yeah. problem right there. Right? It totally is. What happened, what precipitated this was I wrote, well, The Verge wrote this piece about how few, I think it was 25% of the Note 7 owners have returned them, only 25%, and how there's a software patch that reminds you on the phone to return it. So I did a quote tweet, because now quote tweets, of course, can be as long as 140 characters, and I, which I said, what is wrong with these people? They may be betting that, that they're not going to get seriously injured themselves, but what about all the people around them? They should be returning these or something. And this guy wrote me via using email to say, I get your point, but it's almost impossible to return them. So my conclusion from this is, unless this is a fluke, 
Uh, and of course, it's only one person, but this is absolutely hurting Samsung's brand beyond the note. Mm-hmm. I don't know to what extent. I don't know that it's irreparable. I mean, there's all the caveats you want in the world, but right now, this is bad for Samsung's brand, period. Well, I'll give you a little, another little inside baseball story. So, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, The Verge does a Verge update with MSNBC. Um, right. Where we read 30 seconds of news on MSNBC. And, you know, the, the way that process works is the MSNBC team looks at what they're doing today. They look at what The Verge has done. They pick some stories and say, you know, here are some stories that we'd like you to do from The Verge side. And then, you know, a script is written and we read it. Great. So they sent us the stories that they were thinking up for Tuesday, yesterday. And obviously we picked the note because the note's a big story. And we got the first draft of a script from the MSNBC producer. And it was just owners of Samsung phones know that they're exploding. And yeah. I was like, wait, that's not right. We have to edit that script because it's just yeah. the Note 7. But everyone, top to bottom, is just ascribing this problem to all of Samsung and all of Samsung's phones. Yeah, I actually got a tweet uh, d- you know, directed uh, with my name on it because I was actively tweeting about this today in which somebody said – didn't the S7 also explode? And you know, I don't. As far as I know, that's not true. Uh, the Galaxy S7, which is a different phone, uh, also came out this year. But it's another one of these anecdotes, like your MSNBC one, like this email from this guy who is obviously more sophisticated, but willing now to blame Samsung in general. All these things, it's spreading to Samsung in general. And, you know, I think this is like the Tylenol case, and which is a for our younger listeners, all of, all of them are younger, I'm sure, than me. There was a, there was a incident many, many, many years ago where Tylenol was, somebody doctored some bottles of Tylenol with, I don't know, poison or some terrible thing. And, you know, Tylenol is like the textbook case because because of the way they responded, which I think was quite good. And everybody points out you ha- you should respond like that. And I don't. I agree with you. I think Samsung's been too slow. I think their public presence has been too slow. I think it's partly, uh, I, and I think maybe I said this in last week's uh, episode, but I'm going to say it again. I think it's partly that, you know, they have a marketing organization here in the U.S. and in I'm sure most other developed countries, they have other organizations, but the heart of everything is in Seoul and Suwon, which is a a town not far from Seoul. I've been to their offices in both places uh, on different trips. And I think it's not easy for them like it is for a U.S.-based company with a big U.S.-based operation to uh, deal with this. And I also think I'm not so sure they get the culture of this in not only here, but for all I know, in other countries as well. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about other companies, that, that big forward-facing consumer companies, particularly in the United States, if they have a problem like this, their representatives are on the news. Their executives are on the news. They're talking about right. what happened and why and how they're going to fix it. And don't we assure consumers everything's going to be fine, call this number, we'll deal with it. They ramp up the full organization. Right. They hire, there are these crisis consultants you hire. Yeah, you're right. I, have you seen a Samsung person on any on the news? No, or, I mean, not at I all. Have, I haven't seen it. How about on social media? I haven't seen any of that. Now, you know, it may not just be in my feed, but what about your feed? Yeah, nothing. I mean, we, we're obviously we're trying to report out the story as hard as we can, and we're in communication with the company, and there's just a lot of official statements sort of coming out and 
you know, news of software patches and, you know, here, go to the website and at the top of the website in tiny type, there's a banner that's like, U.S. Galaxy Note customers, click here. And it's <laughs> it's not the huge, people complain that we talk about Apple too much on this show, but uh, compare it to Antenna Gate, which was right. a problem, but not like a meaningful problem. Right? Like, like thousands of times less serious than this. Yeah, fa- like order of magnitude less, many orders of magnitude less, like literally all that happened was you just had to let go of the phone or put a case on it, right? Apple's holding, like Steve Jobs holding emergency press conferences on Apple's campus. He flew, giving, back, from, he flew back from Hawaii, from his vacation in Hawaii. Yeah. They're giving people tours of the anechoic chambers where they test the antennas. Right. And they're like, and everyone they, gets a free case. And then and some supplier, they, it wasn't even a case, it was a bumper, if you remember. It was made of rubber. And uh, some supplier was like the best day of their lives because Apple just placed like a million orders <laughs> for bumpers. And then um, nobody took them. <laughs> but they got out ahead of it. And they, the, the face of the most famous person associated with the company was the face of saying... Uh, I'm sorry this is happening to people. I think this is not as big a problem as some people are making it. You remember for a while they had even posted examples of the same attenuation happening on antennas on other people's phones, uh, and they got criticized for that. And they took them down after a while. But, I mean, they were very aggressive. They were very front-facing about it. This is such a much more serious thing. Uh, and I, and I stick with what I said on Twitter. I think it's not just serious for the people that own Note Sevens. It's serious for the people that are sitting next to them in the restaurant, or in, or their children, or their families, or somebody on the subway, or the bus, or the train, or the plane, or wherever they are, who's completely an innocent bystander. Should the worst happen, God forbid, with the phone, and you haven't, if you own one. And this is a good place to point out that we all thought this was a terrific design. We just weren't thinking about the internal design of the battery plates. But the point is, if you have one, you have an absolute responsibility to return it if you can. Except now our reader is saying maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't so easy to do. Yeah, I and mean, I think you made this point to me and a couple other people have made this point to me that this is where Apple's huge retail network and physical presence makes a difference. Microsoft has, you know, a much smaller but tangible retail presence and physical presence yes. in this world. Samsung relies on its carrier partners to do a lot of this heavy lifting. I don't think any of us think the carrier partners are paragons of customer service or support. And in this case, the customer's relationship has to be with Samsung. It can't it can't be mediated by an AT&T or a Verizon or a T-Mobile. It it has to be with a but the, there, the but there the hasn't been a relationship with Samsung, so there's nothing for them to turn on. You know, there's no they, they have to sort of almost create it. And I know, let me just say this: I know from years of experience that U.S. offices representatives, and uh, which who can number, by the way, in the thousands, the, Samsung has thousands of employees in the U.S. often get frustrated by the communication or some of the decisions that they have to follow that are handed down from the headquarters overseas. I'm sure the reverse is true with U.S. companies uh, in other countries as well. But I know this has been true at Samsung. No, there's been no cases I can think of anything near as important as this. They're usually like, I don't like this ad campaign, or yeah. we need more of this model, not this other model, whatever it is. you know. But So there's a lot. There are communication disconnects, and this is this is not the time to have them, but 
but that this is the it is it is what it is, and it's not good. I I would ask you a question. Yes. Would you think if they're going to push a software patch that puts a warning up on the phone? Should they have put a software patch that says this phone will cease functioning in five days unless you walk into the carrier store or Best Buy or wherever it is and and return it? I think that's pretty – that's like one toke over the line for me. Breaking, right. break, remote breaking people's phones is just so tough. I think that crosses the line of – we know there's a problem. There's a chance these fo- the, that your phone is defective. Bring it in. We'll make sure it's not def- If the phones were guaranteed to explode, okay, turn them all off. But yeah, they're not all guaranteed to explode. But so, it's a but it's a sort of Russian roulette game, or yeah, you know, not quite that. Well, I don't know what the odds are. They're probably much better than Russian roulette, but um, it, it's an odds game. Maybe. Well, Maybe the message could actually, because the phone knows your location, maybe it could actually say, here's the nearest, maybe it does this, I don't know, but I don't think it does. Maybe it could say, here's the nearest Best Buy. Maybe they could have done an an urgent emergency deal with the Geek Squad division of Best Buy to swap these out, you know. I think the Geek Squad still has cars. They drive around. <laughs> Driving around no. those little bugs, the Geek Squad. Yeah, I mean, I don't, that was for a while. Maybe, I don't know if they still do, but, you know, whatever. I mean, they, there's lots of things they could have been, they could be doing. Like, you you and I, I hadn't thought about it until we started talking about it, but they have not been public at all in, in this country. And I just, you know, I, again, you know, we don't, it's not like we're stockholders or anything, but still, you you know, uh, they they make some very good products, and it's a shame when your brand is suffering like this. But it's of course a much worse shame if you happen to be a person who's burned or uh, yeah. uh, you know otherwise badly injured, or your property is badly injured by this by this phone thing. It's it's really a bizarre, puzzling situation. Yeah. Do you? One more question. Do you know what these now half apparently half a million new ones? have been delivered in the U.S. for, uh, I guess, exchange or resumption of sales, mm-hmm. and which is fine. Um, I did read, I think on The Verge, on the verge that they have switched to the whatever the supplier is that supplies Apple's batteries instead, instead of, I think it was one of their own divisions that was supplying these batteries. But do you know whether the battery is the same size and the same... Because one of the theories has been that they just tried to jam too big a battery into this phone and that in order to do that, some of the battery engineering had to be a little riskier than typical. I don't know whether that's true or not. Do you know if there's any change in the battery specs or the battery life or anything like that? Um, I don't believe so, but we haven't had a new one to test. and I think that's something that we should absolutely do. There was a, a really great Wall Street Journal piece about Samsung seeing the rumors and leaks of the iPhone 7 would be sort of not redesigned and rushing the Note 7 to get ahead of the curve to take advantage of what they perceived as a gap in the market, which is something that we talked about. That was an opportunity for Samsung. Yeah, we did. Where that that piece didn't make the connection for me was it didn't say what had been rushed. And the timeline of the Note 7, that's just the timeline the Note 7's on. It comes out every year pretty much the same time, and it came out again at pretty much the same time. So... I think that's what we're missing, and I, I think that's the reporting that I, I really want to. Yeah, there is a there is a, or, there or is a great story by somebody 
about what exactly happened. It could have been just a fluke somewhere, you know, a computer error or human error or something about the design of the, the battery, a, a manufacturing process error, or it could have been something where they said, we want this X set of capabilities in this year's note. And the rush part was that the battery component supplier said, well, you're going to need more battery for that. And we we can't make the battery in the way we usually make it for safety in this time frame. And that was the rush. Right. Uh, or they but, manufacture them too fast. and Yeah, whatever. I mean, I mean like, there's, there's a lot to be said. I think I haven't seen the connection between Samsung saw the opportunity and pushed the development of the Note 7 and what went wrong. I think that, to me, again, because the company is being so opaque right now, that to me, that connection has not been revealed. And the company also, because it's being so opaque, hasn't revealed what changes are in the fixed phones other than that they're fixed. And I think uh, as we talk about it, what what is becoming clear to me is they have made a big mistake by not having a face of this problem that is constantly and consistently talking to consumers, not only on television and print and on our site and other digital publications, but with a social media presence, with a Facebook presence, finding people where they are. They should be explaining it. I mean, again, we have to say this again, this was a much more trivial problem. Turned out actually not to be much of a problem at all. But in AntennaGate, one of the things Apple did was a lot of education. They explained what attenuation was. They showed how it worked. They opened their labs. They did all that kind of stuff. And Samsung ought to be doing, I mean, I, you know, nor, normally for competitive reasons, you wouldn't do this, but they should be explaining the design of the phone and how the battery works with it and, and what happens in batteries and why this might happen in a small number of lithium, even if they kept stressing it's a small number. Uh, uh, you know why lithium-ion batteries, and there, there's a certainly, as you pointed out, they're certainly not the first to have exploding or burning lithium-ion batteries. They should have been doing all this, and they're not. They're not anywhere on uh, their media presence. At least in the United States, it's almost zero. I mean, maybe they're really doing a bang-up job in France or something. <laughs> I don't know, but but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but this is this is last time I checked that this is the sort of biggest market or richest market for premium smartphones in the world. Maybe China is a little bigger now. I don't know. But it's certainly the United States is super important. And it's it's a big market for their big competitor, Apple, and they ought to be doing it. I think the other ironic thing is that um, it is true that the iPhone wasn't redesigned and that a big part of the Note 7 is its beautiful design. But the iPhone 7, it turns out, has a lot of, had a lot of big changes anyway in it. So, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have to rush. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I will say that Note 7's back on shelves now. It's carriers are selling the revised fixed ones that don't explode. And we're just going to have to see how they do. Yeah. Whether, whether, whether the brand is as tainted as, as we suspect it may be over time. We're just going to have to find out. Anyhow, let's get off the depressing exploding phones. Uh, let's 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 take this back up. Uh, well, in your column this week, you reviewed not the Apple Watch Series Two, uh, which Lauren reviewed last week and, and was very fond of, um, but you reviewed WatchOS Three, which I think to both of us is it just says a lot about Apple. It says a lot about the watch as a platform, 
and at least in my opinion, is so much more fun to use than the previous iterations of watchOS that it's it's kind of like it's kind of a restart of this entire project. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my point was, I mean, Lauren did did do a fantastic job on the on the new hardware and the kind of clarifying pivot they've made toward um, saying look, fitness is the main use of this thing. Uh, I tried to take I t- I did take my original uh, Apple Watch and um, upgrade it which took hours by the way and have found that it's it's like a, a revelation which I I mean I can still see the look on your face and mine from last June when at their developers conference when they announced this software this is before we knew anything about the new phone uh, and we both uh, I think said uh, at the time that this was pretty radical and essentially a, a, a fresh start and I was trying to make that point it is much more fun to use but more than that, it's a much better app platform. Essentially, you could not find third-party apps very easily. You could not launch them very easily because they had this home screen that uh, I have, uh, over time, come in my own little way to calling the scrambled egg screen. Uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of little round icons. You can make them a little bigger, but they're kind of hard to pick out. You, I don't know. I always... I always hit the one right next to the one I want. And um, and then you wait for the app to launch so much so that you just stop after a couple of, you know, a month or six weeks or whatever. You stop even trying. And you just mainly use the back, uh, the, the built-in stuff on, on the watch. So now what they've done is they've created on the watch one of the oldest mechanisms and most effective mechanisms in tech devices, which is a dock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a place where you can put your most used apps. But this particular dock has some additional characteristics. The watch has limited battery life. It has limited processor. It has limited all these things because it's a watch. So it doesn't keep apps hot in the sense of they're not running in the background and not collecting data. But if the apps are in the dock and you can have 10 of them there, they are kept running and they are kept collecting data so that when you hit them in uh, for me it was like one or two seconds boom they would come up and they would uh, like if i was looking at the washington post boom it would come up it would have actually lovely in the case of the washington post lovely photos and if you scroll down to look at the summary of the article it was fresh the stuff was fresh in it uh and the and the same with whatever other app you might happen to like or want so now the watch uh, is uh, actually a tool with instant response, up-to-date content, and and a logical home screen. I mean, the scrambled egg screen is still there, I suppose, so you can decide if you want to add some apps to your dock, but you never have to look at it. And that's just one of a bunch of nice things they, they did, even down to making your ability to change uh, the the watch face so much easier that you can have two or three of them at different times of the day and not have to screw around with yeah. force touch and all that stuff. You can just kind of kind of swipe. Um, I'm actually shocked. Maybe shocked is the wrong word, but it is incredibly surprising to me just using it how radically cut down the ambition of the thing is and how much better that makes it. So the first version, I mean, I remember just sitting in that event when they were demoing everything you could do with it and force touch and 
the digital crown is. I mean, they, they presented yeah. the digital crown yeah. as a UI invention on par with multi-touch and the click or wheel the mouse and the yeah. mouse. <laughs> and it, I just remember thinking, this thing is a mess. Like, okay, fine. The digital crown. If if, if it's that important, don't make force touch. If it's that important, don't let me scroll with my finger. Like, yeah, right. If, if it's if it's such a big deal, then make it a big deal. But they they did everything. And now, you know, it's it's two years later, basically, and I only push the digital crown to go to the scrambled egg screen, which you are pointing out, you don't have to go to that often. And maybe, you know, it is sometimes nice to scroll with it, but it's, it is no longer the central focus of the entire UI. No. Force touch, I literally just used it for the first time on this watch. I'm, I'm wearing a review unit of the Series 2, which is very nice. I, you know, since I set it up, I, I hadn't even thought about pushing hard on the screen. That stuff, which was at one time a center of the watch experience, has been totally cast aside. The messaging app, that dock you're talking about, you bring it up by pushing the button on the side. That button used to bring up an entire custom messaging platform called Digital Touch. Which I'm convinced nobody used. I mean, it, you could only use it with other people who wanted to watch. Which Yeah. They, you got you had kind of a circle of other people who wanted to watch, which is a pretty limited uh, universe. And you could the only the so called messaging you could do are but there, it was it was really a the problem was it was a feature of messaging as opposed to something worthy of such a central position in the device. And it's still there. All those things are there. You can still send a representation of your heartbeat or whatever, but it's in the messaging part of the phone where you you know you get it you get or can respond to iMessages or email whatever, and um, that's where it belongs. Yeah. So one of the points I made in the column, and I guess you can take this one of two ways. One is, boy, did they screw up uh, in the first place, and they did. And so a complete radical redesign like this is an admission that you screwed up. But I think the other thing that's that that that's worth saying, or the best way that I look, I think there is to look at this is, they showed real guts, or to use another word, courage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in basically saying what everyone in Silicon Valley always says, which is, we live with failure. We understand failure. Those old industries don't understand failure, and they don't know what to do about it. But when we fail, we just dust ourselves off and do something better and entirely new. And I think, you know, sometimes that's true, but most times companies, when they fail with whatever product they have, they just do iterations. And I gave a couple examples, like Windows Vista was one of the biggest you know, failures ever of a major product. And Microsoft came back and did Windows 7, which was really good, but it was essentially a, a spiffed up evolution of uh, 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 the predecessor to Windows Vista uh, that people were using, that most of the install base was using, which was Windows XP. It was not a dramatic rewriting of Windows. They tried that next, and it didn't work, but that's another story. Um, Apple <laughs> And then they walked a, that back. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And <laughs> Apple had a, a disastrous cloud platform called MobileMe. Steve Jobs even publicly apologized for it, another example where you own it and you put the face of your company in front of it. And so they, they, they did iCloud, but iCloud was... You know, iterative. It it 
like I said, it cleared the very easy to clear bar of the mobile meat problems, but it didn't wasn't a complete redo. This is a complete reboot, and I think that I think that takes some guts. It also shows they're very serious about this watch. Yeah, and I, I think the the fitness tracking piece and the the refocus around that that you know they always said it's they use this phrase I I personally dislike a great deal. Because to me, it seems like an excuse for we didn't know what we were doing and now we're going to find out. But Google used it all the time. But they always said, it's early days. We're going to see what people do with it and then we'll refine. And they actually did that. I think it was a much bigger, deeper refinement than they anticipated. I think they realized that they would have to sacrifice a little bit of battery endurance for performance because the performance was so bad. And so I'm wearing the new one with the dual core faster processor and the better GPU and all of that. I upgraded my old one as well. I guess they're calling it, I, I'm seeing the sort of Apple fans call it the Series Zero. Series Zero, yeah. Because the Series One has a upgraded processor, but not the GPU and all GPS and all yeah, that. Right. Um, but this is the original single core processor. The screen is much nicer. I'll, I'll give you that. The battery's bigger, so it lasts a bit longer on the new one. But in terms of raw performance, they, they don't seem all that different to me. Well, you, you've got the new software on the old one as well. Yeah, I do. No, the performance is great. Uh, I'm sure that there's some you know benchmark test you could do that would show that the new one has somewhat better performance. But no, the performance is fine. This is a this has become because of software a very responsive device uh, for the things. And the reason is maybe if you tried some weird app for the first time that wasn't in your dock, you would you would be back to um, you know moaning and groaning. But if you could put ten apps in a watch dock that's mostly whatever they are for you or they might be different than ones for me they're the ones you're going to spend 95 percent of your time on so the watch is just going to feel more fun more responsive and i think you know beyond the fitness people the, the serious fitness people and i'm not you know i think there's a there are people like me who want to be more active less sedentary but who are not big into fitness or exercise in, a, in as big a way as our Say our friend Lauren, who does serious long runs and uh, uh, you know other things. I think this software thing has made it a better platform for apps in general, not just fitness apps, but any kind of app. Because now, finally, people are going to be able to get to your app quickly. They won't be turned off by the slow speed, and they'll use it. Yeah, and the kind of things that you want to send to a wrist, you know, after all of this time, and obviously Android Wear has been out. It, it's becoming more clear what you need on your wrist and what you need on your phone. And I, I think the dream of the watch replacing the phone is – I think it's a bit mistaken. I think it's – there's a bunch of stuff I like having on my wrist. I love having – this is so dumb. I said this on the Vergecast last week. I love having uh, Authy, which is the two-factor authentication. Yes, I heard you say that, yeah. I love it. It's great. It's, it's, it's such it a really, stupid thing, but really I love it. It really appealed to – the hundred people in the world who know what Authy is, but okay. well, everyone should two-factor everything. If you're going to two-factor everything, you should make it anyway. It doesn't matter. All I'm saying is that's a very tiny use case for me that makes the watch more valuable. Yeah, people are going to find those things. I don't think that every use case is going to move from the phone to the watch, and I, I certainly think people love having a camera with them at all times and having Instagram with you're, you're going to have a phone with you almost all the time. But the stuff that's moving to the watch is getting more interesting. On that note, though, I'm going to read, I've got an early column from you, 2004. You did review a watch that was meant to stand on its own, uh, the Suntu smartwatch. 
Sunto or Sunto? Uh, I think. I don't know. Sunto. Yeah. Sure. With two U's. Two U's. Uh, this ran on the Microsoft Spot platform, which, if listeners don't know, was Microsoft. It's like an unbelievable thing. Microsoft <laughs> ran a network of low-power FM transmitters throughout the country. Which, by the way, they bought from Qualcomm. They bought from Qualcomm, called the Spot well, Network, yeah. that beamed information to their watches. I can't even imagine a, like a world in which a, a major company would say, you know, that internet's great. But check out our low power FM network. But this is <laughs> which this is, is which is a one way essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A one way FM network. Uh, so this is Walt in the journal, February twelfth, two thousand four. First, I'm going to read a description of the watch, and then I'm going to read his to sort of conclusion. I've been testing a top of the line smartwatch, the two hundred ninety nine dollar N three model from Suntu, Sunto, a company that specializes in electronic sports oriented watches. The N three is a huge round gadget molded in black plastic, with a black plastic wristband. Because of the plastic, it's one of the rare products that looks cheaper than it actually is. Uh, <laughs> the watch has five buttons molded into the plastic, two on the left, three on the right. One controls the backlight that makes the monochrome screen visible in the dark. The others control information you see on the screen. And the lower left is a channel button, which scrolls through various information channels like news, weather, calendar, stocks, and time. A sports channel will be added soon. When you want to see the contents of a channel, you press the center button, which is the enter <laughs> button, and the other two buttons, previous to next, scroll through the contents of the channel, such as the different news. Like, this sounds crazy to me. Like, it, it sounds like such a terrible experience. Like, it's just like buttons for days, everything's plastic. Okay, so uh, here's the last couple lines here. <laughs> these lines, the, these last two paragraphs are all, they're all perfect. They, they speak of such a time. Then there's a question of battery life. Unlike normal electronic or digital watches, the smartwatches have to be recharged frequently. They run out of power after four or five days at most. <laughs> yeah. The fossil models use large bulky charging stand that would be hassle to take on the road. The costlier Sunto models use a simpler and lighter cable with an alligator clip on the end. <laughs> In both cases, the need for frequent recharges of pain. Also, if you travel, you have to tell Microsoft in advance via a website where you'll be going and when, or the work may not be able to find your watch in a new location. And finally, conclusion. Yeah. The MSN Direct smartwatch is too limited and clumsy, at least for now, to justify its price. It seems like a technology in search of a problem to solve. So... Obviously, many of these questions have been cleared up, right? You don't have to tell Apple where you're taking your <laughs> Apple Watch anymore. The battery life issue is worse and better in that it's much easier to charge or much more used to charging yeah. things. You right. charge it over USB, but the battery life is much shorter. I'm still only getting about a day. But well, you couldn't do anything with the other one. It was monochrome, so that's why it lasted five days. <laughs> right. And then the interface problem, as we've been talking about, it was sort of equivalently complex before and that there were a lot of buttons and not literally buttons and knobs to push on the thing but now it's much simpler and better and it's obviously not monochrome and crazy so we've improved on so many dimensions of this thing but that last line a technology in search for a problem to solve if you take away fitness I think it, it does come back to yeah. what are the specific things that this is going to make better in your life and I don't know that Apple has really just laid out a vision for that. Well, and and you and I discussed this when uh, when we were discussing uh, the column yesterday. I think the Apple Watch, you know, being very clear about fitness helps, but there's a limit to the kind of serious serious fitness they're talking about. 
with GPS and and uh, and that sort of thing, and the and the water resistance for swimming. You know, there's I'm not saying there's nobody. There, there's a significant no- a minority of people that care about that. It's it, it's a good number. But if they want this to be a giant success, they need this to be a home for a lot of other uses. And now, I, I my feeling is they've sort of cleared the way for for us to find out if it can be a home for a lot of other uses. I think in the pre with the previous software it just wasn't ever gonna happen yeah and 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 now we can see i do have to say one more thing um because it was the wall street journal mm-hmm. i think i wasn't able or i didn't i i didn't want to put up with the hassle of having a fight about this so i didn't use this but i used to call those microsoft spot watches mm-hmm. um celibacy devices <laughs> Like you would never get laid if you wore them. Oh, come on. Certainly someone would be interested in figuring out the challenge of the five buttons. Um, yeah. One person. You could find them. You could. Yeah. Everyone, well, everyone has to a be a whole dating site for just people that wore those. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, but you have, to tell, you have to tell Microsoft where you are. So you can... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then it directs you. Everyone show up here. Um, <laughs> I will say the the last the last thing I'll say about the Apple Watch, and we we need to talk about Google's Allo a little bit too on the show. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I'll say about the Apple Watch is what it has become for me now is a really fun gadget in the kind of classic sense of the word. If you are a gadgety person, you like the being the early adopter, the little taste of the future. It is now a fun product to own. Whereas before, I don't think it met the standard of being a really fun gadget. It was actually a pretty frustrating device. Yes, and I think just that turn is going to enable what you're saying. People are going to start finding uses for it that they didn't anticipate it because it's fun to use. So you're going to want to try to use it for different things and it's going to reveal itself to you in different ways. That is the promise. I don't think I don't see that promise particularly with many other smartwatches. You know the the Android Wear platform, it has a little bit of it and I think it has much more hardware diversity, which I think is really cool. Uh, you can actually get a round one, for example, but the platform diversity isn't there yet, and I think Apple has enabled platform diversity to happen for app makers and users. And it's it's fun, and I think the fun was missing from that first one. There was there was like almost too much pressure, too much ambition. They've cut it away, and now it's now just like yep. I'm wearing it. I like wearing it. I didn't like wearing it before because I was like I have to monkey with this thing. Even the app on the phone, the watch app on the phone, is nicer to use to set up and sort of manage the watch. It's not like a total reboot as watch os but it's just been cleaned up and refined so i think that's there's something here now that i think is worth building on this episode of control alt delete is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. are you hiring do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates if you want the perfect hire you need to post your job on all the top job sites and now you can With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. Just quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash delete. That's a, that's a new one. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash delete. One more time, try out ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash delete. 
couple last things to talk about. Both of us, I, I've only dipped a little bit into Mac OS Sierra, which already came out. Have you used it a bunch, Walt? Uh, I have used it, but not a bunch. So it's out. It has Siri. I actually think Apple has a, they have to come back to the Mac in a serious way with a serious story. And I don't think just adding the Siri button and letting you unlock your Mac with your watch is that story. I think they they have a big opportunity with the Mac. Some, literally, the Mac Pro has been on sale for over a thousand days in its current configuration, which is insane. Sierra's nice. You should go if you have it. You know, it's it's a reasonable upgrade over LCAP. It will offer you some new capabilities. But if you don't, you're not going to miss out until Apple says something about. Yeah, Macs. no, look, I think it, they'll it, be saying something soon. They have. I do too. Uh, I, you know, we this this is a good source of bitching, but we may be uh, pretty late in the cycle for which we can bitch about this because yeah. I think they are going to do something about the Mac soon. And by that, we both mean bringing out at least one all-new redesign model and probably speed bumping the other of the two main Macs, the the MacBook Pro and the, and the MacBook Air. I, I can't get too excited about the Mac Pro, honestly. It's a, it's a very <laughs> limited, specialized device. I mean, yes, in a perfect world, a thousand days would be way too long, but uh, I, I read an interesting piece about how the con- components necessary to make a big jump in a super high-end computer like that um, have not come along as fast as they might. And so, I don't know. Maybe that all goes. Well, I it. sit. I sit directly behind our video editors all day, so I, I hear about the Mac Pro quite a bit. Um, yeah, well, that puts you in an unusual position. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I think there are some other laptop makers who are iterating. You know, the Lenovo certainly is iterating and experimenting with different things. Apple needs to step up the game. And I, I think they're a little late doing it, maybe even a year late in, in doing it. Although, to be fair, they did bring out a new Mac, which we've talked about many times, the small MacBook. But they're... Uh, uh, Mac, the the MacBook Pro, uh, I think, is due, and from everything we have heard, uh, and listeners, we don't know precisely, so don't assume we're covering here. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we have a good sense that there that there will be a redesign of that, and not very long in the future. Yeah. All right. Let's take the last few minutes here. We got to talk about Allo. So, yep. Dieter. Here with us in spirit as always. Thank God we mentioned Dieter. I can't can't have a can't have a control alt delete without Dieter. Uh, no. Dieter mentioned. Um, Dieter reviewed Aloe yesterday. Uh, I've been I don't know. I played with her for two minutes today. Yeah. Um, everyone should go read that review. It, it, the subtitle was "This is fine." Which yeah, is great. That's not so what it's you a, want. It's a competent product. <laughs> I think is Dieter's point. But how it how it's going to actually gain. Acceptance is a big topic. Well, it's a here's the thing. It's a competent messaging product. Now, I don't want to say that messaging products are easy. Nothing is really easy to do really well. But there's like a hundred. Yeah. Mess. Realistically, there's a hundred messaging project uh, products you could use, and people have already kind of built networks around them, uh, and Google has tried, Google had a messaging product a long time ago and never broke it out of their horrible swamp called Google Plus where everything went to die. And they actually, I think, had two messaging products that went to die there. So they're coming into the game late and, you know, 
Dieter's point of view was it's just by fine I think he means it's just okay. Yeah. And it has some it has one important plus if you're comparing it to let's say iMessage. And I know the world goes way beyond iMessage. It goes to WhatsApp, it goes to Facebook Messenger, it it goes to a lot of places. But uh, you know Apple is Google's big competitor, so let's look at iMessage. The big advantage it has over iMessage is it works between uh, Android and iOS. Now, iMessage, you can text people who are on Android. It just comes through as regular SMSs, and there's much more you can do with other people who have Apple devices. But they did, you know, so it's not like iMessage only works, uh, or or messages, let me say, because there is a slight difference. The messages app on Apple devices only works with other people with Apple devices. But this is apparently more full-featured on both platforms. So that's a plus. It's a big plus. The minus is it doesn't work on computers. It doesn't work on tablets. I mean, one of the great things, and I'm sure you've experienced it, I experience it every day, and you probably do too, is with iMessage, it just flows among all your Apple devices. And if you're in the middle of a conversation on the phone and then you happen five minutes later to be on uh, your your laptop, the same conversations there, and you can continue with it in a rich way. That's a great thing. And they, for some reason that I can't figure out, they decided to just limit it to phones. Yeah. But there's a bigger problem. So, which, well, it's a, yeah. it's a big problem that's related to its other big feature, which it appears that the Google Now name is going away in favor of Google Assistant. We are anticipating yes. a big Google event sometime in the future where they roll out, you know, Pixel phones, which are leaking all over the place, and a right. new Google Home, and all the, just a bunch of new Google stuff. Yeah, but they announced that I.O. this Google Assistant thing. I mean, that's... Right, but that's the, the pretty... fact that Google Now would go away, and it would get... Well, I mean, the branding, the whole branding on that was bizarro. I mean, you know, I never knew when I wrote about it what to call the voice part of yeah. Google Now. It's true. But it appears uh, that Google's big thrust in its next, you know, minute is going to be Google as an Google assistant as an assistant across multiple apps, products, services. Right. And so Allo has the Google assistant built in. You can chat with it. You can ask it questions. Google, you know, it is Google. So it can like search the web. It can, Dieter's video, he asked about the Vikings Packers returning a score that <laughs> what I, happened in the Vikings I don't want to talk about game. it. <laughs> 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 emotionally I seem drained by to this conversation. Remember something about that game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Dieter. Anyway, so it's there, and you can also bring it into all of your other conversations and have it chat with your friends. That's cool, but Google initially said to do that, they have to read your messages, especially if you bring it into a conversation with friends. It has to be contextually aware of it. It's soon. So it has to read your stuff with your friends. It initially said, well, we'll delete that stuff after a while. Now what it's saying is, well, we're not going to do it until you tell us to do it, which is a huge change in policy. I will say, strange verge moment. We posted a story about that today. Edward Snowden tweeted out that story. And I know. Said, Google, yeah. Google's Allo is a messaging service that stores your information and will turn it over to the cops. Because that is true. Yep. If Google has that, your stuff. That is true. And, they, and, and the government serves Russell, a warrant, they can, they can get it from you. Russell Brandon said that, uh, our colleague Russell Brandon in his story. And... I think, and I tweeted it too. I'm not Edward Snowden, but I tweeted <laughs> it and, and got a lot of a lot of responses on it. Um, I think it's bad. It, it's really bad in two ways, three ways. One, it's bad to break a promise. 
that you made publicly on almost anything. Two, it's sort of, you know, it exposes uh, another area of your communications life to hacking and to subpoenas. Uh, they may be legally, properly legally obtained, but they may be frivolous. They may be fishing exposi- expeditions. There's a lot of things. And it's a very, and the three, it's a very stark contrast to Apple. It could be that this Google Assistant will you know, put Google ahead of Apple on AI, and they are in some ways already. But it's like a movie where they've created a creature that's hungry for human flesh, and there's no stopping it. It has to keep all these all these texts. And I, I personally, I'm just I, I'm not switching to this thing because I'm just going to try to keep reducing the surface area of things that I do that are not encrypted in the way Apple encrypts things, which is, I mean, end to end sounds like it's the be all and end all, but it's not because it has to be end to end with the owner of the service or the company not being able to decrypt it. And that is not the Google way, but it is the Apple way. And if you don't care about privacy, fine, but I care about it. So, I mean, it's a big problem for me. So, Walt, you told me that you've stopped using Gmail. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. Um, I use Gmail for work because we use Google Apps at Fox Media and The Verge. And, you know, has a lot of benefits. But my personal Gmail account, I decided to stop using on I started using iCloud as my personal email account, even though Google is a way better company in cloud-based things than Apple, because, again, Apple is taking care of me on privacy and security, and Google isn't. I will say, if the feds want to go read your, your iCloud email, they can serve a warrant to Apple, and Apple will turn it over, and that's an Apple's privacy policy as well. It's it, it, it it's really is just complicated. Only the backup, and... I can tell you that I am 100% convinced that you will soon see Apple uh, take the step of throwing away the keys to the backup as well, just like they've thrown up the, away the keys to a lot of other things. They really are, particularly after the FBI battle, they are more and more convinced that they need to get themselves out of the way of this. Yeah. And the, the whole DNA and direction of Google is the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because that is... As you're expressing it, it's a user choice, right? Are you going to pick the company that has your data encrypted or are you going to pick the company that doesn't? It's also, I mean, you know, Google's encrypted, but they, they can read it. The, the read company it for that you. can decrypt yeah. and does, in fact, routinely decrypt for its own purposes your data and therefore can, can also uh, or has to turn over in a subpoena versus the company that can't decrypt your, your encrypted data. And can't, and therefore can't, turn it over to authorities. Right. What I'm saying is, I th- there's to me that it feels like a false choice born of bad regulation. I would like to see a market in which Google is able to keep keep us as protected from, for lack of a better phrase, unwarranted search and seizure, and still provide these services, which are very helpful in a huge variety of ways. But right now, the way the way that the law is structured. If they have it, they have to be able to turn it over, which means the regulation is limiting some of what AI can do. Well, I don't even want them using it for uh, for whatever they might use it for. I mean, remember, 
Never forget, they're primarily an advertising company. I have great admiration for some of their innovation, a lot of their innovation. I can't wait to see these Pixel phones. I think we need Google innovating uh, out there. But I also think they're, at heart, an advertising company, and that mitigates against you know, protecting your privacy fully. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a privacy policy, and they, it's, I'm not saying they're totally wanton with it, but they're wanton enough, and they're more wanton than Apple. Yeah. And that, is a, that matters to me. Now, it may not matter to somebody else listening to this, but it matters to me. Yeah. I will say, on the flip side, though, uh, no one's ever hacked any celebrity's Google account. They, they tend to hack the iCloud accounts. So, the, that, well, there's a question of whether that was an actual hack of the iCloud account or they got somebody's password. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Apple has publicly stated repeatedly that it was not a hack. Right. Uh, as, as we usually understand that term. But look, I'm not trying to apologize for Apple. I mean, you know, if uh, their everybody's security could be better. I'm just saying we've we, it, it's crystal clear from what we saw in the Apple FBI fight, uh, which, by the way, Google sort of supported. I mean, they did file an amicus brief in court, but their public statement was a little weak uh, compared to Microsoft and some of the others. Uh, so we have to give them credit for that. But um, you know, we know where Apple stands on this, and Google, I think it's it, you know they have very mixed incentives. Yeah, because they want to read your data, and that, and they just walk back a promise that they made publicly. Yeah, on, on this kind of issue, which I find disturbing. I find it, you know, I find disturbing, but I also find it disturbing that they had such a commanding lead with GChat, and the the whole Google Plus project just blew it up. It, it is it is just no longer a part of the conversation, and it used to be, and we used to run half of the business on GChat, and it's just yeah. just no, gone. I know, so. We're all disturbed well, by different a great, things. With, there's with a great Apple. book in the in the in the swath of destruction caused by the Google Plus failure. Yeah, they really they really fell behind in a lot of ways. But hopefully, people love Google Assistant and Allo, and I think we're going to see a lot more. I think this conversation about Google being able to read your stuff, it's going to be the biggest conversation about Google for the next year or more because of what appears to be an enormous upcoming bet and push around Google Assistant. And Allo is, it's a messaging app that is fine, so it's not going to get the focus because, quite honestly, people are just going to keep using WhatsApp or Line or iMessage or whatever. But in the next wave of Google devices, you're going to see it everywhere in Google services, and I think that conversation is going to get much more potent. I agree, and and I should also say that Apple is going to have to make good on its claim that it can also do these magic AI things in a way that is consistent with its privacy policies. They have made, have sh- shown some examples. You know, Siri has gotten better, but I just this week I text I asked Siri in a particular way. Well, I asked it when are the Emmys on and it gave me a crap no answer, answer, you know, a bunch of <laughs> Wikipedia stuff, none of which at a glance included the answer. And Google, uh, on this, on iOS, Google's app, again, done by voice with exactly the same words, brought up a beautiful picture of an Emmy statue and the exact date and time and answered my question. So, you know, Apple has, Apple has to prove that it can do this. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. 
We've, we, this is a grab bag of a show today. It was a fun one. Yeah. But that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week. God only knows what will happen in the tech world next week, but Walt and I will be there. Same time. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're trapped we're, in the tech we're, world. We're never leaving. You can listen to the Vergecast on Thursdays. I host that one. It's pretty fun. What's Tech is with Chris Plant is also available for you to listen to. All of that stuff is available at iTunes.com slash Verge. And on the Recode side, our friend Lauren Good, who we've talked about a bunch on the show today, she has Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is wonderful. Peter Kafka has Recode Media, and Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. All great shows to listen to. Keep listening to everything. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Neelai. <laughs>